Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the time in worship. We pray that you would move in our hearts once again in power, God, and um, we would be able to just pull some things from this text that we would be able to see your your protection, uh, not just in David's life, but but in our lives and uh, also our responsibility when it comes to, to, to the enemy or enemies uh, trying to trying to get us, trying to attack us, trying to come after us. Lord, that we would um, just be so confident in who you are uh, as our Father and recognize that, that you do want good things for us even when bad things happen. So please bless this time in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, so the last two chapters, First Samuel chapter 17, we took that in two teachings so long, right? We talked about conquering giants and how uh, David was a, uh, was a, a picture uh, of the Messiah, right? The people were in a bind. There was a, a ginormous enemy out to get the Israelites. And here comes David, one sent by God to take out the enemy. But we also used that and tried to understand how we can conquer giants in our life as well. Then in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we saw this contrasting thing going on and we saw Yahweh's favor on David's life, uh, but we also saw the jealousy of Saul, King Saul. Remember the, the greatest hit during that time period in that culture uh, was Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands and the ladies would dance and sing for David and David like didn't really understand how popular he actually was. So when Saul says, hey, I want you to marry my daughter, which was a condition of him defeating Goliath, he says, who am I? It's like David's like blind to the fame that he's getting, the attention that he's getting and, and and it's a really cool character quality to see in David this this humility. But as Saul is so jealous of David, he begins throwing spears literally at him. But we see Yahweh continue to protect David throughout all of these events, and there will be several other events, including the one in this chapter, the next, and a few to come, uh, where Saul is coming after David, and Yahweh is going to protect him. In this chapter specifically, First Samuel chapter 19, we're going to see Saul's jealousy begin to boil over. It's increasing and increasing so much so, now he's going to plot a more strategic plan to go out and get David to take care of him, to kill him once and for all, because he's so threatened by him. Just the person he is, and the power he has, and the warrior he is, and and even it says in 1 Samuel chapter 18 that he was jealous because of Yahweh's favor on him, in other words. And we'll continue to see in 1 Samuel chapter 19, God's protection on David's life. God is literally going to protect David from the attacks of the enemy. Okay, it's a big part of this chapter, but we'll also see, and that's what we're primarily going to look at in this teaching is David's responsibility and what he does, because God, yes, he can protect him, but David has responsibilities too. And ultimately, David's responsibility in this text is to resist the enemy. Okay, and that's the title of this teaching, resisting the enemy. He's going to resist and ultimately, he's going to flee. And we'll talk about both of those things. 
And this is true for us when we talk about our enemy, the devil, Satan, his demons, all of the above. When it comes to these encounters, God has a responsibility and we have a responsibility. God has a responsibility to protect us as his children. And we have a responsibility to resist and sometimes flee. We'll look at all of this. Let's dive into the text. First Samuel chapter 19. Verse 1. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. If you remember from the last chapter, Jonathan and all his servants, they love David. Like they're all supporters of David. So this would have thrown them off. Saul saying, hey, we're going to kill David. It's like, wait, no, we, we like the guy. We delighted. Why would we kill the guy? Now we don't see that any of them spoke up other than Jonathan. But this was something that they didn't want to do. They loved David. Now... We see so many parallels, and we'll continue to mention this throughout David's life, um, uh, between Christ and, and David. Just as Saul plotted to kill David because of jealousy, so too did Caiaphas plot to kill Jesus because of jealousy. We'll continue to see these similarities. Uh, it's called, uh, they're called typologies. Uh, David is a type of Christ. So Jonathan, it says, he delighted greatly in David. We're going to see that Jonathan is going to be more loyal to David than he is to his father. But it's not just because he loves David so much. The reason he loves David so much is because they have this common love for God. Their whole relationship is grounded in their mutual love and respect for Yahweh. So this is really where this loyalty comes out uh, to play, and we'll see this in next chapter as well. Uh, Jonathan's loyalty to David is rooted in his loyalty to God. Jonathan truly is more loyal to his heavenly father than he is his earthly father. First Samuel chapter 19, verse 2. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. So Jonathan is looking out for David and he comes up with this strategy to help protect David. He's almost like a spy for David. He's going to find out what his dad's saying so he can warn David, so he can tell David what Saul's about to do to him. Now we can look at this and say, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible say to honor your father and mother? Yes, it does. But as I mentioned, Jonathan's loyalty is greater towards his heavenly father than his earthly father. And he is being disobedient to his earthly father, but this is completely biblically justified because his father is in sin. Yes, all authority is placed uh, by God and we're called to submit to authority unless that authority asks us to do what? Sin. That's exactly what's happening here. If you look at Acts chapter 5, verse 29, in Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin, they warned Peter and John not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore or they would persecute them. They stick to their guns. They stick to what's right. They continue to preach the gospel. And they say this in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, the apostles say, 
But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. This is true. And we can't confuse these things. This doesn't mean we can't take this verse and say, well, uh, I'm going to just not obey men if I don't agree with what they say. And I'll use the excuse that I'm obeying God. Well, it has to be a legitimate reason why you're disobeying men. It literally has to be I'm being disobedient to man because man is actually asking me to sin. They're asking me to disobey God. And every single time, I don't care what the situation is, if someone is asking you to do something that you know, not that you're unsure of, that you know is directly contrary to God's word, you are justified in disobeying that person. That's exactly what Jonathan is doing here. He's honoring his heavenly father over his earthly father because his earthly father is in sin. So, Jonathan, he warns David that his dad is out to kill him. But David had to trust Jonathan. David could have thought, well, maybe John's, Jonathan's working in cahoots with Saul and he's going to set me up. He, he didn't think that. Or at least we don't see any, any indication in scripture that he thought that. He, he trusted Jonathan. Remember, they made that covenant previously back in chapter 18. And Jonathan, David knew, had his back. Now, It's important to have friends that can warn us about the enemy. And this is point number one. We need help to resist the enemy. We need help to resist the enemy. David needed Jonathan's help. What if Jonathan never warned him? David would have probably been a dead duck. We wouldn't be reading anything more about David. Obviously, in God's sovereignty, his plan was to inspire Jonathan to warn him. But the point is, sometimes we don't see what our friends see. Sometimes we miss it. And this can really be anything. Um, This could be uh, maybe a behavior that we're practicing or certain people that we're hanging out with. And maybe you've experienced this. Uh, One of your friends in the body of Christ, your brother or sister says, hey, 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 I don't know if you should be doing this. I I don't know if you should be hanging out with these people. You're kind of setting yourself up for temptation. You're kind of setting yourself up to be attacked by the enemy. It's so important for us in humility to know, to see when our friends are, are warning us about the right things that they're truly trying to protect us because they love us. Now, this goes both ways, and we'll talk about both of them. If you see your brother or sister kind of walking down a line that they probably shouldn't, maybe surrounding themselves with some things that they probably shouldn't, maybe doing something that they probably shouldn't, it's our responsibility to speak up. It's our responsibility to say something. Now, obviously, in this text, David wasn't doing anything wrong at the time. Just follow me here. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 3, in Ezekiel chapter 3, God commands Ezekiel to open his mouth. He commands him to speak up. And he says there's serious consequences if you don't speak up. He says in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 20, Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness, and commits iniquity and I lay a stumbling block before him he shall die because you did not give him warning he shall die in his sin and in his, in his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered but his blood I will require at your hand that's a heavy duty calling how many times have you seen someone stumbling a believer falling into sin doing things they 
aren't supposed to and, and you don't have the courage to confront them. You don't have the courage to speak up, to warn them that the road that they're walking down is a dangerous road and they're leaving themselves open to be attacked by the enemy. They've stepped outside of the love of God. How it says, keep yourself in the love of God. Not that God doesn't love you anymore, but they stepped outside the confines, the barriers of God's word. They're no longer walking in the word and they're setting themselves up to get wrecked by the enemy. It's our responsibility to speak up. Jonathan knew David was in danger and he spoke up. On the other side of things, putting ourselves in David's shoes, we got to receive that stuff when someone says something. We got to receive the warnings. If we don't receive the warnings, we are foolish. We're, we're, we're simply foolish. See, often people will come to us and say, hey man, I don't know about this. Think about this. Pray about this. This thing seems off. You might want to change the behavior. You might want to change the language or the group of people that you're surrounding yourself with because if you don't take heed to the warning, then you're going to have to face the consequences. I'll tell you a really weird story. Um, so Dirk, many of you know him. <laughs> one time, this is so weird. One time he, he came to me one day and he's like, bro, this is so weird and I don't know if you're going to believe me, but last night I had a dream and this leprechaun came to me and, and he, he told me, I'm dead serious, he told me I needed to warn you about something and he gave me this scripture, I'll point you to it, in Hebrews chapter 3, in Hebrews chapter 3, a leprechaun gave Dirk a scripture. I don't know if it was an angel disguised as a leprechaun or the Lord disguised. I have no idea why the leprechaun, but I, I absolutely believe that somehow this leprechaun was from the Lord. I have no idea, but this was wild. It's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I won't get into the details, but Dirk didn't know this. Some things happened in my life with PC and something I was supposed to do. I was actually talking to Elizabeth. Okay, I wasn't supposed to talk to Elizabeth for for two more weeks after four months and i talked to her i ran into her because we lived on the same property i talked to her that night i'm with pastor chet she texts me and he goes who's that i was elizabeth why is she talking to you you guys aren't supposed to be talking right now okay so pastor chet like threw the book at me for that he took away leadership responsibilities he did like i had so many serious consequences i was so upset it seemed like the you know um um the punishment uh it, it, it was way beyond what i deserved and my heart got hardened I got, my heart was getting hard so much. So I was contemplating, do I want to keep doing this ministry thing? I get the book thrown at me for having one conversation. Is this for real? And Dirk didn't know any of this. He didn't know any of this. And he gives me that verse and I'm just like, oh shoot. I was literally that day thinking, man, do I want to keep doing this? Do I, do I want to deal with this? And this was one scripture that helped me like, wait a minute, this is going down a dangerous road. God's called you to this. Not that I would walk away from the Lord, but the walking away from the ministry thing sounded like a good idea. At the time, Dirk warned me because of a leprechaun. I took heed to the warning and, and here I am today. The point is we never know how serious the warning is when our brother or sister warns 
warns us, we better be listening. We better pay attention. And us, as brothers and sisters it's uh, uh, in Christ, or it, it, we have both of those responsibilities. To speak up, to speak out, to warn our brothers and sisters when they might be putting themselves in a situation where they're prone to the attack of the enemy. And we also have the responsibility to listen to the warnings when someone is trying to help us out. Jonathan was this type of brother. And David was as well. Jonathan warned him that the enemy, Saul, was out to get him. David took heed to the warning. Verse 4. Thus, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Jonathan goes and he confronts his father. He doesn't just warn David. He confronts his father. He's literally confronting his father about sin he's telling him you're in sin now think about this king saul a great warrior he's the king and you're going to confront this guy uh because he's sinning against god and against david that must have been a pretty big thing for jonathan but this is who jonathan is he's a man that stands up for righteousness he don't he doesn't care who it is whether it's my father or the king of england it doesn't matter if somebody is sinning against god i'm going to tell him about it i'm going to confront them about it that's exactly who jonathan was he wasn't afraid of confrontation confrontation can be difficult sometimes confronting brothers and sisters friends family members you name it co-workers and sin can be a hard thing to do we typically don't like confrontation we don't like conflict because we want people to like us and if we confront them and there's conflict they may not like us anymore and we want to protect that relationship but what we're actually doing when we're afraid to confront someone that's in sin we're doing more damage to that relationship love is confrontational sometimes love is tough sometimes it's not just like here do whatever you want to do it's not just comfort it's not just consolation sometimes it is confrontational but it's not just enough that we speak the truth it's not just enough that we confront the person what's just as important is how we confront that person Jonathan does this. He's a great example of this. It's Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. In Ephesians 4 15, it says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Jonathan isn't just doing this because David's his buddy and he just wants to protect David. He loves his father too. He's genuinely concerned for his father's walk. So he speaks the truth in love. Both of those things are so important. They must be connected. If we speak the truth without love, it probably won't get received. It probably won't. And if we speak love without the truth, how can the person understand the error of their ways? How can they know they need to change? If it's all just lovey-dovey and, and comforting, then is that actually love? Both of those things come together because there is no love without truth and there is no truth without love. They're combined. They're connected. God is love and Jesus says, I'm the truth. They're both, uh, they're both uh, not synonyms, but they come together. So, Jonathan confronts his father about this sin. 
And then he begins to persuade him. He's trying to give him the big picture. Look back at what he says. Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good towards you. Hey, David's been awesome to you. He's been his, your servant. He loves you. He's doing good to you. Verse 5, for he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? It's like, are you remembering who this guy was? You remember the big giant that you didn't want to fight? You remember Goliath that you were trying to pay people off to fight that guy? This is the one that killed him. And not only did he make you look good, he delivered all of Israel. We've seen God's favor on his life. Do you really want to kill a man that has God's favor on him? That it's like so obvious that God is with this man because then you're not just sinning against this man. You're directly sinning against God's anointed. You're sinning against God. So he's trying to help him see the big picture. Yeah, you're frustrated because of this song. Okay. Yeah, you're frustrated because David has killed 10 times more people than you. But is that really worth doing something that, that you're gonna regret? Doing something that you can't turn back from? Not to mention verse 5, he says, Why then will you sin against innocent blood? Now, David, we know, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we know even to this point, David had sinned on some level. So he's not completely innocent, but he hadn't sinned against Saul on some personal level. And that's what Jonathan is getting at. This is also synonymous of what happened with Christ, right? That's what they said. He, 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 he's innocent. He, he has done no evil. He's done nothing wrong, deserving of death. This is another parallel to what we see in the Gospels and actually kind of what we've been talking about on Sundays. It goes on. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 6. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. So Saul, he comes to his senses, at least momentarily. Okay, we're going to see this doesn't last. But he, he swears in the name of the Lord. He makes an oath based on the name of God. We got to be so careful about this, making oaths to God, making promises to God, because when we make a promise to God, he expects us to keep it. Now, there's a really tragic story in Judges chapter 11, uh, a judge named Jephthah. He, he prays to God and he says, hey, God, if you allow us to defeat this army of the Ammonites, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'll sacrifice it to you. Like, this is what I'll do for you if, if you do this for me. Many of you know the story. He defeats the Ammonites. He comes back. And what's the first thing that walks out of his house? His daughter, right? His daughter. So he has to follow through with this commitment. And it's not that God wants people to sacrifice people. That's not the message at all. The message is, though... Be careful about the oaths you make to God because when you make oaths to God, he expects you to keep them. Saul is not going to keep this oath that he made to God. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 7. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in the presence, in his presence, as time passed. So things are looking good. Jonathan mediated the situation. Maybe Saul and David are okay. Maybe not. 
Look what happens. Verse 8. And there was a war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now, this is an interesting little connection here. We see there's basically a ceasefire between David and Saul. There's, there's no fighting. David's in the palace. Everything's calm, only to get to the next verse in verse 8. Now David's back at war against the Philistines. But this also speaks of the spiritual warfare that we go through. It goes in like waves. There's times where there's a ceasefire. There are times where it's like, we're good, okay? I'm not being attacked by the enemy. Life is good. I'm not really going through a lot right now. And then all of a sudden, here it comes again. And a bombardment of spiritual warfare. The point is, we can expect it to go in phases. Just because we're maybe in a season where there's not spiritual warfare. Or maybe you're in a season that there is spiritual warfare. We can expect those seasons to end and then start back up again. It's a never-ending cycle as long as we live. The battle is never over, okay? We can't convince ourselves that because there's a ceasefire, if you will, we don't have to fight the battle anymore. David goes right from a ceasefire to Saul to a battle with the Philistines. But because of God's favor, look what happened. He fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. David continues to have victory over the Philistines. He continues to not just deliver himself, but to deliver all of Israel. This is happening again because of God's favor on his life. This should have been added confirmation to Saul that maybe we should keep David around. Okay, like God's trying to get the message across to him. I've I'm protecting this guy. I have favor on this guy. You're actually way better off with him around. But Saul his jealousy is going to get the best of him. First Samuel chapter 19, verse 9. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Remember, David would play music to help Saul with his spiritual warfare so that this distressing spirit would leave. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from the Saul, from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Now Saul, though he committed in the name of the Lord that he wasn't going to do anything, that he wouldn't kill David, he still goes and throws another spear at David. Point number two expect the enemy to to attack expect the enemy to attack we can expect it we can expect these things to happen that's who he is now Saul he's not ultimately the enemy but he's a picture of the enemy and it says in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 it says be sober Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's seeking out those who he may devour. That's one of his main goals, his main purposes to destroy us. We can expect him to come after us. We can expect him to try to devour us. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens, but we also shouldn't be discouraged when it happens. See, oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes spiritual warfare is a sign that you're doing the right thing. Spiritual warfare is often a sign 
sign that you're a threat to the enemy. He feels threatened by you. The way you're walking with the Lord, the impact that you're making on the people around you, in your community, at your job, with your family. And he sees that and he says, no, 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 no. What can I do to discourage them? How can I throw a spear at them? How can I do something in their life that will lead them to pump the brakes, to, to, to lay off a little bit? How can I isolate them? How can I get them out of the way so they're not affecting so many people? Now, I go through seasons, like I'm sure um, most of us, if not all of us, where, where I'll hit these spiritual warfare things. And, and, and you know, uh, almost every time, without fail, the, the biggest seasons of spiritual warfare I go through are when I'm getting ready to make big decisions in my life. Okay, big decisions before I got married, um, different seasons of Patmos coming here at the church. There will be so many things that come in my way. Now, for me personally, uh, the, it's not always like external obstacles for me personally with spiritual warfare. A lot of it's in my mind. A lot of it's in my head and I'll get these lies that I know aren't from the Lord that are literally from the pits of hell. And I'll start to believe these things about myself, even though I know they're lies. You're never going to be able to do this. You're not good enough. You're not qualified. It's never going to happen. You're going to fail all these different things. And I'll be like, dude, I know this isn't from God because all of this stuff contradicts scripture, but it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make it go away. And it just keeps coming and coming and coming. Until what? Typically for me, till that next season comes around. And then I see what the Lord is doing in that season. See, I've learned over the years that when I have those seasons like that, where there's just significant spiritual warfare, and it could be, it could be external obstacles, it could be death, it could be loss, it could be so many different things. Again, for me, it's often in the mind. But I've learned that the enemy is often afraid of something. He, he sees what's going to happen, okay? Not that he can fully see, but he doesn't have an idea about the future. He sees what's going to happen around the corner, or at least what could happen, and he's threatened by it. So I've learned when those seasons come to ask myself, what's he scared of? He's trying to stop me from doing something that he doesn't want me to do. So what is that thing? And literally without fail, every time there's always something amazing that happens, whether it's discipleship opportunities, starting a family, being here, whatever the case is, there's always something significant. You've heard it said many times, wherever there's an active enemy, uh, act of the enemy, it's always followed by an act of God. Every time, anytime we see the enemy attack, you always see that God just trump his attack and do something even greater. So we can expect the enemy to attack. It shouldn't surprise us, but it also shouldn't discourage us. So David, it says, as Saul threw the spear at him, he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. <clears throat> You see, David, he doesn't fight back. He doesn't try to fight Saul. What does he do? He actually flees. He flees from the enemy. This is the third point. Flee from the enemy. Flee from the enemy. Now, there's a time to fight and there's a time to flee. And the battle against the enemy is not our battle. The battle is the Lord's. We can't trick ourselves into thinking that we can overcome the enemy the Lord overcomes the enemy, and the only way we can overcome is by faith in the Lord. Now, this is interesting 
that we see David slip away at the attacks of the enemy because we also see Jesus do this several times in the Gospels. I'll read it for you. In John chapter 8, this is basically after Jesus, not basically what he did. He, he told the religious leaders that I am, that he is Yahweh, that I was here before Abraham. The religious leaders did not like that. So in verse 59, chapter 8, verse 59, then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. Jesus too, when he was under attack by those specific enemies, he just slipped away. He knew it wasn't time to to die on the cross. It wasn't his hour yet. It wasn't his time to fight back with words. This time it was the time to flee and we got to know when it's time to flee the bible talks about this in other areas if you look at second timothy chapter 22 see when the enemy attacks us or when he tempts us when he tries to get us to do things that we know we shouldn't do or he tries to intimidate us intimidate us whatever that spiritual attack is for that certain circumstance there is absolutely a time to flee in second timothy chapter 2 verse hmm, that might be first timothy okay <laughs> that ain't it First Timothy chapter two. All right, I missed it. Whatever. It says flee sexual immorality. Okay. It says flee sexual immorality. What was it? 22 or something? Yeah, I know. It's always something like that. There's like one, one number that's off. All right. Thank you. It says flee sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality. Yes, that's temptation from the enemy. The enemy is trying to get us to sin. That's uh, just one example. And we see throughout scripture the effectiveness of that fleeing from the enemy, fleeing from sexual immorality. We actually see it uh, with Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. If you remember, we were teaching in Genesis a while back uh, when Joseph is tempted by Potiphar's wife. What does he do? He runs. He flees. He doesn't stand there strong and just reject her. No, he runs. He knows he has to get out of there and get out of there quickly. This is wisdom. Sometimes we think we can stand, but the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Be careful. Be careful what you're surrounding yourself with. Be careful uh, with temptation. And what's interesting about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, is the very next verse says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as, com- as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He says, Don't think that you're standing on your own two feet. <laughs> There's a time to run. And when the Lord gives you the way of escape, He doesn't say just walk, run through the way of escape. Don't play with it. Don't see there, sit there and, and, and see how long you can last and how long you can endure. Run away. David didn't wait for another spear to get thrown in this text. He, he didn't wait for another dart to get thrown at him. He ran when he had the chance to run. Now, there's a time to run. There's also a time to resist, okay? And we see in James chapter 4, verse 7, in James chapter 4, verse 7, 
I'll just say it. James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Sometimes when we resist him, he's the one that flees. And we see Jesus do this too. There's a time where he flees from the Pharisees and there's a time where he doesn't flee from the enemy. He just resists them. And how does he resist them? By standing on the word of God. In Luke chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4, also see it in Matthew chapter 4, But in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, the the enemy comes to Jesus when he's at his weakest point after this 40-day fast and he continues to tempt him and Jesus continues to battle him with Scripture. But Jesus didn't overcome the enemy by reciting Scripture. He overcame the enemy by submitting to it. He he could have incited that Scripture and turned the, the rock into bread. That would have done him no good. And sometimes we think, if I just recite Scripture, I'm good. That's not how we resist the enemy. It's good to know Scripture, but we can't just recite it. we got to stand in it. we got to submit to it. That's how we resist the enemy. And look what happens in verse 12. Luke 4, 12. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The Lord, he stood on the word, he resisted the enemy, and the enemy was the one that fled. He actually fled. James isn't just making this stuff up. He saw it in his brother. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 11. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. So, Michal, she did the right thing. Back to the honor the father and mother thing. Well, she's being loyal to her husband. She's also being loyal to God. And this is important for us to note as well. We're called to be, those of you that are married, loyal, more loyal to our spouses than we are to other family members. This is how God instituted it from the beginning. If you remember in Genesis chapter 2, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, as God institutes marriage with um, Adam and Eve, he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. I'm forsaking my family in some degree. It doesn't mean you can't have a relationship with them. But now me and my husband and wife, we're one flesh. It doesn't say you're one flesh with your father or your mother or your brother and sister. We're one flesh with our significant others. Mikal, she gets this. She was honoring her husband over her father. Now, her father is out to kill David despite the fact that everybody else is for David. And I know that's part of the problem. But he's not getting it. All his servants, his son, his daughter are all for David. And Saul is still determined to go out and get him. 
we see this pattern of behavior with Saul. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 14, when he was going to kill his son, he was ready to kill his son. The people had to speak up and say, yo, dude, what are you doing? This is crazy. Your son is a great man. Finally, they listened to him and they didn't kill Jonathan. But we see that Saul, in his pride, he gets set in his ways, in his stubbornness. He's stuck in his ways. He's determined to fulfill something. Regardless of the fact that everyone else is around, everyone else around him is telling him to do the complete opposite thing. When you got a bunch of people around you, especially spiritual people, telling you not to do something or to do something else, and you know they're looking out for your own best interest, you might want to listen to them. They might be right. I won't say that they're right every time, but there's a good chance that they're right. If everybody is telling you the same thing and it doesn't contradict God's word, then there's a chance that you should probably listen to that thing. In Proverbs 15, verse 22, Proverbs 15, verse 22, it says, there's wisdom in the counsel of many. There is wisdom in the counsel of many. Saul? Not walking in wisdom. Why? Because he's not listening to the counsel of many. He's listening to himself. So, Michal, she comes up with this plan to help David escape. She takes this image. Uh, in the Hebrew, this is called teraphim. T-E-R-A-P-I-P-H-I-M. And literally, they were household idols. This is interesting, right? The king's daughter has this household idol. Uh, and often with these teraphim, they were meant to, to represent God. Sometimes other gods, but often they were meant to represent God. This is interesting. God says, don't worship idols. But they have this thing that represents God. Why? This reveals something about the character of the Israelites. And I think humanity across the board, they have a hard time worshiping something they can't see they have a hard time worshiping uh, an image that that they can't see that they can't we need something that we can visually see and touch because i don't understand the walk by faith and not by sight thing but this also re, uh, reveals something specific about Macal. she she struggled in her faith okay and we're going to see this come out later on she struggled in a relationship with the lord however she still was faithful to her husband. And this plan was ultimately going to work. Now it appears that she likely put this image in the bed and like made it look like a, like think of a crash test dummy or something. Like made it look like that. So when they walked in, they thought he was actually there uh, in his sleep. It, it doesn't specify, but that's the general idea. Um, she, she made it appear like David was in the bed with this, with this idol. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 15. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with the cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this and set my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? So think about this. Her father says, why did you deceive me? Like, what does he expect? Yeah, hey, just take my husband. <laughs> kill him. <laughs> yeah, just kill my husband. She knows what he's going to do. And he expects her to be more loyal to him 
then loyal to her husband. This is a conflict. This is a conflict in the whole household. Saul, he doesn't care about what Jonathan feels. He doesn't care about what his daughter feels. He, he only cares about fulfilling his own agenda. He doesn't care about the feelings of the rest of the people in his household. He says, this is what I'm going to do, and I don't care who has to suffer. And then not only that, he expect his family, expects his family to back him up when he's trying to do something that's going to crush them. This is her husband. Jonathan and David are best friends. And he refers to David as my enemy. Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? Saul thought of David as his enemy. But David was like his most faithful, loyal servant. And and even after all of this, David loved Saul. See, sometimes especially when it comes to spiritual warfare. And Saul's absolutely going through spiritual warfare with this distressing spirit. Sometimes we can wrongfully assume that the people that love us the most are out to get us. That, that, that they're trying to, to, to come against us. Like, like we can't trust them. But Saul, if he only realized the truth, that David was for him, he was trying to help him, He's been completely loyal to him. Maybe he wouldn't have tried to kill him. But he's meditating on lies. And I believe a lot of this is attributed not just to the jealousy, but the distressing spirit that just keeps coming upon him. But we can do this. Sometimes the people that we think are out to get us are really the people that are trying to help us. And this is really rooted in pride because someone confronted me or someone told me about myself or somebody challenged me, whether it was a friend or a family member or a spiritual leader. I think they're out to get me without realizing that they're actually trying to help me. David wanted to help Saul. Saul assumed he was his enemy. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 18. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him, and he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. So, this is important. David didn't just flee from the enemy, he fled towards accountability. Okay, this is the fourth point. Flee towards accountability. It's not just about what we run from, but about who we run to. He fled from the enemy to Samuel. Okay, He ran to Samuel. He said, I don't know where to go, but I'm going to the guy that I know that's directly connected with the Lord. That's a prophet that talks to God. I'm going to that guy. This is very wise of David. This is very important for us. It's not enough just to flee from temptation, from spiritual warfare, whatever the case may be. We got to run to accountability. I hope and pray. Um, and if you if you don't say yes to this question, I want to talk to you after service and get you plugged in with the right people. <laughs> but but if you if you don't have any sort of accountability, if you don't have other believers around you that when you go through stuff, stuff that's difficult, maybe it's meditating on the lies that we were talking about. Maybe you went through a loss or a tragic situation or you're between jobs or you're just going through it and you don't have someone to talk to about it, you're in danger. Okay, seriously, you're in danger. You need to be able to talk to someone. Yes, we pray to God and that is so important. And yes, we seek the Lord and his word and we worship and all these things. But God doesn't just provide himself when we walk into this faith called Christianity. He provides a body of believers. 
He provides a body of believers. When the Lord saved us, he didn't just save us from our sin. He saved us from our solitude. He says, you don't have to be alone anymore. You get to be with me and my entire family. When we accepted Christ, we didn't just accept Christ. We accepted all the messed up people that came with him. All of them. And the point is, we've got to use those people. And it might not be everyone. You might not like want to tell everyone your stuff. I, I, would, I would encourage you not to. But at least have some people that you can trust that when you're going through it, hey man, I don't know why I'm thinking about this or, or why like I'm doubting or, or why I'm walking through this. But I just need help. I just need to process this stuff. I just need to get it out of me. I have a few friends that I'm able to do this stuff with. And one good one that, that I still have is, is Zach Patterson, who I used to work with at, at Patmos. But there's times, and I told you those seasons where I'll go through the spiritual warfare, I'll be meditating on lights, and it's almost laughable because I know that this stuff isn't true. And I just gotta, like, I know what's true and what's not true, but I just gotta talk with them about it. Dude, I don't know why I'm thinking about this stuff, but bro, help me not to. Like, we're, like, give me something else to think about. I just need to process and get this stuff out to realize how foolish and ridiculous it is. And, and so I can recognize where it's coming from. And often that brother or sister can help you fulfill what's in Philippians chapter 4 to meditate on what is true meditate on what is noble what meditate on what is praiseworthy so don't get stuck in this other stuff that's that's not even true that's just from the enemy it's not enough just to flee from the enemy we got to flee towards accountability if you don't have a person in your life that you can talk through with stuff get someone there's plenty of great faithful men and women at this church it doesn't have to be at this church but have someone that has a spiritual mind. See, David, he fled to Samuel. He, he fled to someone that even, you know, was a, a little further along spiritually than him. It doesn't always have to be that, but that's wisdom as well. They, he ran to a spiritual leader that could help him understand what to do in this situation. He fled towards accountability. Verse 19. Now... It was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. So now prophesying doesn't always mean telling the future. It just means speaking inspired by the Spirit. So Saul, to help understand the story, David flees, he goes with Samuel, uh, Saul sends out messengers, probably messengers to kill him, um, uh, out after David, and when they come and encounter Samuel, he's with uh, uh, likely his students, these other prophets, and it's basically a worship service, okay? They're having a worship service, they're worshiping God, they're prophesying, it's all about the Lord, so they get there, and they're just caught up with the worship. The power of the Spirit is so strong in this setting that they're almost like, I don't even care about going after David anymore. Like, we're prophesying too. We want to worship the Lord as well. See, Saul. See, Saul. I didn't mean that. <laughs> he is so determined. And we're going to see, he's going to keep sending messengers after David. He is so determined 
to have David killed. It's not enough that David's gone. David's not a threat anymore. He's gone. Now we know David's always a threat because he's going to take over the kingdom. But think in Saul's mind. David is gone. He's away. He's not in the palace. We don't have to worry about him anymore. But he's still going after him. It's not enough that David's gone. He wants David dead. It's the same thing we see in the enemy. Point number five. The enemy is determined to destroy us. The enemy is determined to destroy us. It's not enough to just get us out of the way. He wants to destroy us completely. And that's what John chapter 10, verse 10 says. The thief, speaking of the enemy, says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But listen to this. These are tactics of the enemy. Thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the thief can't steal from the person who has forsaken all to follow Jesus. You got nothing left to take. He can't destroy that which is already broken. And he can't kill the one who has been crucified with Christ. See, the Lord, in his word, he gives us all the tools we need to literally be enemy proof. Not that we won't face difficulties and hardships, but the main things that the enemy is trying to do to us, steal, kill, destroy, he can't do if we're walking in the word, if we're identifying it, if we're being identifying with it, if we're being obedient to it. So the enemy, in this case Saul, he's out to completely destroy David. But David gives him tools. He gives him protection. Sorry, God gives David protection and tools to, to resist this. Look what happens. He sends some more messengers in verse 21. And when Saul was told... He sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time and they prophesied also. So every time he sends messengers, they end up getting caught up prophesying. These aren't uh, very effective messengers, right? They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. The power of the spirit is so strong. They're like engulfed in it. They're consumed by it. All they can do is focus on God. Now, this is an extremely unusual operation of the spirit okay extremely unusual um we see saul have similar encounters uh with with the holy spirit and the prophesying thing but these men it doesn't seem that they're seeking god out in this second like they're not seeking for the lord they're not asking for the spirit to come to come upon them the lord is doing this the lord is intervening the lord's coming upon them but it's all for the protection of david God is literally using a spiritual gift to protect David. Like, that's crazy, right? He's using a spiritual gift to protect him. And I don't think we think about that very often, but sometimes God uses spiritual gifts in our life to protect us. What do I mean? God has given every single one of you, every single believer, spiritual gifts for his glorification and the edification of the body. And what we see with spiritual gifts, it kind of helps us figure out where we fall in the body. Like, what is our role? Am I the mouth? Am I the hands? Am I the eyes? Am I the backbone? Uh, whatever the case may be, there's many spiritual gifts, but often God will give us spiritual gifts to, to protect us. What do I mean? See, when we start to understand what our spiritual gifts are and, and we walk in them and, and we stir them up and we grow in them, we begin to find uh, our, our purpose in Christ. Like, uh, yes, we're, we're, our identity is found not in our spiritual gifts, but our relationship with Jesus Christ. But as we understand our role in the body of Christ, we're really understanding our purpose in a sense in this world. And God will use that purpose. He'll use those gifts to protect us. To protect us from what? 
from idleness, for, from, from living a purposeless life. He'll, he'll use it to protect us from many things. God, in this text, literally used a spiritual gift to save David's life. First Samuel chapter 19, verse 22. This is where we'll close. Finish it out. <clears throat> then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Setu. So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are at Naoth in Ramah. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah. Then the spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. So Saul's likely thinking, oh, these messengers are no good. I'm going to do it myself. But he's just as vulnerable as they are. In fact, if you look at the next verse, he's even more vulnerable. Uh, literally, it says, and he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and in all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? The spirit led Saul to these acts of humility. He stripped. It's not like he's just going crazy, ah, like streaking. That's not what, what's happening here. <laughs> this is an act of humility. He's getting vulnerable before the Lord. This was an act of surrender, an act of dependence. We know this isn't going to play out in Saul's life, but this act, he was so consumed by the Spirit that he's just like, Lord, I am completely naked and vulnerable before you. I'm dependent on you. I'm surrendered to you. Literally, the Spirit of God led him to a place of surrender. And that's the one of the purposes of the Spirit of God, to lead us to that place of vulnerability to lead us to that place of dependence i'm not saying that the spirit should lead you to take off all your clothes please never do that here we might not ever let you back (laughs) we might not we probably won't (laughs) but the spiritual side of that the spiritual nakedness the emotional nakedness just falling before the lord in utter humility and surrender god i'm vulnerable before you i need you i'm desperate for you this is what this act that Saul is performing, is expressing. So we see, throughout the text, God was protecting Saul, or sorry, God was protecting David. Uh, He was protecting through protecting him through Jonathan, through Michal, through Samuel. He was bringing all these people in his life to help him, to protect him. But David still had a responsibility, right? He had to resist the enemy. He had to flee when it was time to flee. He had to listen to Jonathan. He had to run to Samuel. God had a part and he was doing everything in his power to protect David. But David also had a part. David's part was not fighting against the enemy. It wasn't that time. David's part was to flee and allow God to fight the enemy. See, the greatest thing we can do when it comes to spiritual warfare is allow God to fight the battle. The, the, the battle is truly the Lord's. It says, he says it's the Lord's. And sometimes we can take it personally or, or we can take the burden or the load on my shoulders and we'll say things like this. I have to endure this season of my life or I have to endure these difficult circumstances. But ultimately, the Lord says, hey, let me take that. I'll bear that weight. I'll endure these circumstances with you. We'll do this thing together because the battle's ultimately mine. See, God delivered David through this spiritual warfare, at least for this season. But as we'll see, there's going to be another season right around the corner. And that's how it goes in our lives. 
We'll have seasons of battles. The Lord will deliver us. There will be a season of calm only to have more battles. And that's not to discourage us. That's just to speak truth. It's inevitable. If we're not going through it now, we're going to be going through it in the future. The important thing is to remember, again, that the battle is ultimately the Lord's and he's the only means by which we can have victory over the enemy. He'll protect us, but we have a responsibility as well to resist, to flee, to listen, to seek accountability. And that's how we resist the enemy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your protection. And because we're your children and and you love us, you want to protect us, but that doesn't mean that you won't let things happen to us. God, and I pray as we walk through different seasons of our life, through different forms of spiritual warfare, that we would be confident in in who you are, um, Lord, that that you truly are using the seasons for good, that the seasons are are temporary, Lord, but will we be with you for eternity? So help us to walk through those those times well, that we would listen to our brothers and sisters, uh, that we would know when to resist and when to flee and when to run to accountability, that we wouldn't think that we have to do this all by ourselves because that's a lie. Uh, Lord, so so help us in humility to to lean on you and to lean on the body of Christ, especially when we walk through spiritual warfare in your name. Amen.